Welcome to Barry and Lambert's Solicitors podcast series, Planning for Your Future. In this series, we explain in detail how life planning can help you navigate your way through the ups and downs, and how getting your affairs in place now can assist your loved one's future responsibilities. Barry and Lambert Solicitors, we're right by you, through the good times, challenging times, and sad times. I'm Paul Harvey, and today I'm with Lisa Malley, a solicitor from Barry and Lambert Solicitors, and we'll be talking in some detail about wills, and we'll also be touching on inheritance tax. Lisa, very warm welcome. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be with you. Thank you for joining us. So before we get going on the topic, Lisa, could you describe your role with Barry and Lambert's? Yes, I joined Barry and Lambert's in 2012, just before the Olympics, and I'm a solicitor in the private client department. So that means that basically I help people prepare their wills. I'm involved in helping to assist in administering a deceased person's estate. I deal with the drawing up of trusts and the management of trusts and can uh, also prepare and register powers of attorney and give uh, inheritance and capital gains tax advice in connection you know, with all of those things. So a lot of information to get through today. So we're going to be talking about wills. Now, Lisa, why do you think people are put off making a will? I think there are several reasons, Paul. One might be that people find it hard to contemplate their own death or even what would happen to their loved ones on their death. Particularly, I think that's the case for people who've got young children trying to imagine how those children would cope if they died. Another reason might be that they believe the process of making a will is expensive. Some people believe, I think, that they don't even need a will. They believe they know what happens on their death under the uh, intestacy rules, which are the rules which apply where a deceased person hasn't left a valid will. And some people might even be concerned that they're not able to make one. Perhaps they've had an early diagnosis of dementia or something like that. So they're concerned that they don't have the ability to make a will. So Lisa, do I have to use a solicitor or a will writer? Can't I do it myself, kind of DIY style? There definitely is a temptation, Paul, for some people to to try definitely and have a go at doing it themselves. But there are some serious pitfalls in doing that. One of the main ones that I often see when dealing with a deceased person's estate and I'm looking at a homemade will is that what obviously appears to the person who made it as perfectly clear isn't necessarily, you know, legally so. I'll give you an example. A person might write in their homemade will, I leave my house to my partner. For, you know, a solicitor who looks at that clause will think, well, which house? And I don't necessarily mean that everybody's got more than one. It's, did they mean the house they were living in at the point they made their will? Or do they mean the house they were living in at the point they died? And, you know, similarly to my partner, which partner? Is it their business partner? Is it the person that they were living with at the time they made their will? So you can see that what appears perfectly straightforward to a non-lawyer can Mm. give rise to all sorts of questions. And another typical one is, I leave everything to, you know, my son, John. Again, that seems perfectly you know, straightforward, but what the person who's made the homemade will hasn't contemplated is what happens if John dies before them. Oh. There are various rules that can attach to a will to fill in gaps. So a gap such as this one, uh, where no substitution is provided, 
the rules that apply may end up with that gift going to someone which the person who made the will didn't want to receive it interesting scenarios so that really that's just the tip of the iceberg isn't it really i can see that what the solicitor hopefully will bring to the client is their expertise the benefit of looking beyond a lot of the you know the initial considerations which the person making the will would have Mm. thought of so they get a much more rounded will and a will that often won't need amending in the future should you know a particular beneficiary die because the will already provides for what would happen in that circumstance or indeed you know it ensures that the asset that the the testator that's the name that we give to the person who's making the will wants to the asset that they want to leave to a particular person goes to that person and the gift doesn't fail for uncertainty as to you know what what asset was actually intended yeah there's some very important points raised there moving on to codicils lisa what is a codicil and when should i make one of those rather than a will well a codicil really paul is the legal name given to a document which just amends a will so it is read in conjunction with the will so when you make a codicil you have to have both the codicil and the will together in order to understand what the overall effect is. On your death, if you apply for a grant of probate, the will and the codicil become potentially a public document so everybody can see them. So one instance where you wouldn't want to make a codicil is if you are contemplating disinheriting somebody and you're making your codicil to remove, say, a cash gift that you've made to that person. If you do it by codicil, then that person could see that you'd originally left them a gift in your will, which has now been removed. And it might encourage you know, that person, if they're disappointed to have been removed, to try and challenge your will or the validity of your will. So in that sort of instance, we would always encourage somebody to make a fresh will, because unless they've then told the person uh, that they'd left them a gift in the previous will, that disinherited person would be none the wiser. What does a will cover? And are there certain things I own, which I can't leave in my will? So a will will cover most things that you own at the date of your death. Things that typically you can't leave in a will are assets which you own jointly with someone that pass under a legal principle that's known as survivorship, if I can just explain that to you briefly. A typical asset which people might own uh, jointly is a property. Typically, for instance, a married couple will own their matrimonial home in both their names and they will own it as what we call joint tenants. That basically means that when one of those dies, the survivor of that couple will automatically inherit the first to die share of the property, regardless of, of what's in their will. It passes, if you like, almost outside of the estate directly to that the surviving co-owner. Now, if the couple own their property jointly as what's called tenants in common, that's nothing to do with uh, leasehold properties. If you almost substitute the word tenant for interest, so if if they have a joint interest in common, then when one of those co-owners dies, what happens to their share in that property is determined by what is in their will or you know, if they haven't made a will, the intestacy rules. So where you own a property jointly, 
it's a case of whether you own it as joint tenants or tenants in common to determine whether you can leave that property in your will. Now, if you own it as a joint tenant, then there is a way where you can sever that joint tenancy so that you are able to leave your share of the property in your will. And there may be all sorts of reasons why you'd want to do that, even if you are you know, essentially going to end up leaving an interest in that property to the co-owner. You know, we might come back to those you know, later on. Lisa, I'm going to throw a curveball in here. What happens if I'm connected to more than one country as I have dual nationality or I own assets or have property in more than one country or have lived or worked in more than one country? Now, where should I make my will? Well, that's definitely a scenario, Paul, where you should go and see legal advice and don't attempt a homemade will. The main thing to take on board is definitely where you've got uh, land or a property abroad. One thing that you can consider is making a will in the country that that land is situated. So you can make more than one will, but you have to be careful if you do that, that there's no conflict between the two. And that, you know, between them, you are covering all the assets that you own, even if they're situated in different countries. What you have to be careful with assets in more than one country, or if you yourself have a different nationality than the country in which you are living in, is that those countries don't apply their own succession laws to your assets which might conflict with any will that you make. So you basically need specialist advice. Now, do I have complete freedom to leave my assets to whoever I want? Can anyone dispute my will or claim against my estate if I leave them out or they're unhappy about what I leave them? So in England and Wales, broadly, you do have testamentary freedom to dispose of your assets to whoever you want. However, and there's always a but, there is a piece of legislation. It's known as the Inheritance Provision for Family and Dependents Act 1975, which is there to ensure that anyone basically who who was financially dependent on you prior to your death has the ability to bring a claim if on your death there's not adequate financial provision for that person, either in, in the deceased will or under the intestacy rules. Shall we move on to contents of a will? Let's look at uh, what does an executor do and do I need more than one? And what should I think about when deciding who to name as my executors? So what an executor does is they are the person who is charged with the responsibility of ascertaining what a deceased assets and liabilities are, safeguarding those assets, then paying the liabilities from the assets in the estate and then distributing the remaining assets in the estate once all debts, liabilities, estate expenses and any taxes have been paid. So the executor is the person who has control of the uh, estate assets and they are the person who will be applying for a grant where there's a will. In the case of an intestacy, an executor is known as an administrator, but they fulfil exactly the same function. And can they be a member of the family? I mean, is that advisable? 
what you're looking for in executives, they have to be over 18. They can be family members. What you ideally want is someone who is obviously good at organisation, trustworthy, and in, in some instances has the time to deal with an estate. It can be quite a time-consuming process. You don't have to be a professional because, of course, you can always obtain professional advice. So if you want to appoint your son and daughter as your executors, if there's anything they feel uncomfortable about or they just want some legal advice as to whether they're doing the right thing, they can go and seek a solicitor to advise them. So you don't have to appoint a, you know, a professional. The advantage of appointing you know, a solicitor in your will or a solicitor's firm, I should say, is you know there should always be someone around who can deal with the administration of your estate if you appoint an individual that individual may die or may lose the mental capacity themselves mm. to carry out the function of executor. So if you do want to appoint an individual, what we often ask you for is the name of another person who you'd like to appoint as a substitution yes. for the first, should that you know first person be unable to carry out the duties of an executor. Mm. You can okay. appoint more than one. You can appoint basically up to four people at any one time to be your executor. But if you obviously appoint more than one, then you want to ensure that they would work well together. One instance where it's advisable to have more than one executor, so to say at least two, is if you've got uh, young children and in your will you've you've said that you know you're, you want your children to inherit at a particular age, say 18 or 21, and if you were to die under that age, you would want, say, two people to manage that child's potential inheritance whilst they were underage, particularly if there was a, you know, a property involved in your estate. And this leads on to naming a guardian in my will if I have young children, perhaps. So in answer to your question, Paul, you don't mm. need to name a guardian in your will particularly if there is a surviving parent or anybody else who has parental responsibility for your child. Any surviving person with parental responsibility effectively will act as that child's guardian. However, in a will, you can contemplate what would happen if there is no surviving person with parental responsibility. So in that instance, it is advisable to name somebody else who could then act as a guardian for the child. Another point to bear in mind is if you are divorced or if there are any court orders concerning parental responsibility which vary the, the normal rules it may be that it's worthwhile again including the name of a guardian in your will. What do I need to think about when considering making legacies or gifts in my will? What happens to the assets which I do not allocate to a specific person or organisation? The main things you need to consider is obviously who you want to leave the asset to and if that person were to die before you, who would take it in substitution. When you're thinking of making legacies to you know, children, there you might wish to consider the age at which you want them to become absolutely entitled to demand that inheritance so if you're leaving them a large sum of money, you perhaps you might not want them to be able to have that until they are 21 or 25. If that's a concern for you because you're worried that if your child were to receive 
a large inheritance at too young an age and might spend it. So you wish to add a contingency to the legacy that they have to be uh, a certain age before they become entitled to demand their inheritance. We would usually put in clauses in a will that enable trustees, so they are the people who often manage an inheritance Mm. whilst a child is under age, to advance some of a child's potential inheritance for their maintenance, education or well-being, you know, before they reach the age at which you've specified, you know, the child can demand their inheritance. So you can still ensure that any child, you know, can be provided for from the money you've set aside. But if you like the discretion as to whether to advance the money is held by your trusted, you know, executor slash trustee rather than you just giving the money to the child to do Mm. what they like with. Other considerations for legacies might be if there's a debt attached to the legacy, who, you know, who should pay that debt? An example might be a house with a mortgage on it. Should the beneficiary be required to, you know, pay the mortgage from from their own funds Mm. or, you know, by selling the asset or should the estate pay off that debt, that mortgage, before the asset is then transferred you know, to the beneficiary. Uh, another factor to consider would be if your estate is taxable for inheritance tax, should the gift come to the beneficiary free of inheritance tax or you know, should the estate, i.e. Other, you know, other beneficiaries in the estate, be responsible for paying the inheritance tax? Okay, a number of considerations there. Um, and what happens to the assets which I don't allocate to a specific person or organisation? It all depends whether they're assets that pass under your will or assets that pass outside of your will. An asset that passes outside of your will might include, for instance, death benefits under your pension or life assurance policy. If you haven't allocated you know, those death benefits in your will, it doesn't matter. In fact, you can't allocate them in your will. The terms of the pension or the life insurance policy will dictate what happens to those. Often a person has completed an expression of wishes or a, you know, a nomination form which gives the pension provider or insurance company instructions as to how they would like, you know, or, or how they would like the pension provider mm. or the insurance company to, you know, treat that asset or who they who they want to benefit from those death benefits. If you've got an asset that does pass under your will and there is no beneficiary defined in your will as taking that asset, then what you'll often have is a partial intestacy. So the partial intestacy rules will determine who receives that asset but when we're you know talking about if you haven't specified a particular person to receive a particular asset in your will we might be talking about slightly different things here Paul because a will is structured so that often there are gifts of specific assets to specific people it could be an item such as jewelry or a picture to a particular person or it could be cash to a you know, a particular mm. person. And then what you'll often find is there's a clause which, you know, we call residuary estate clause. And that's a whatever's left after you've made particular legacies to people, you've paid the debts and funeral expenses of the deceased, whatever's left in their estate is then left to 
an individual or a group of individuals or is left in percentage shares, etc. So that you don't have to actually set out a list of all of your assets with a particular beneficiary's name against that asset. So you can have a will or most wills will start off with you know particular items you want to give to particular people and then a clause that whatever's left is then left to you know particular beneficiaries or you know shares are left to particular beneficiaries and it's only if you like if there's those gift of if you like the residuary estate fails because whoever you've named as the recipient of whatever else you've got left has died if you like that there's often you know an asset that hasn't been disposed of under the will and in that case that's when the partial intestacy rules would apply. So Lisa let's move on to inheritance tax which is obviously a very important area. Do I need to worry about this in my will and how can I mitigate inheritance tax in my will which is obviously a question that a lot of people will be asking. Inheritance tax isn't a tax which just applies on your death. Inheritance tax can also impact if you make gifts during your lifetime. When we're thinking about inheritance tax and wills, what I would say to people is to start with work out who you want to give your assets to. And then once you've decided where your priorities lie as regards making provision for you know, relatives and dependents, then if you see a solicitor, we can ensure that you do that in the most tax efficient way as regards inheritance tax. Now, with inheritance tax, there are various beneficiaries, if you like, who are exempt from paying inheritance tax, namely your spouse or your civil partner. And when I say civil partner, I mean someone under a formal civil partnership rather than just somebody who you are cohabiting with. And the other uh, main beneficiaries who are exempt from inheritance tax are charities. Now, if in your will all you want to do is is leave assets to you know a spouse or charities, then in, in short, you don't have to worry about inheritance tax because those beneficiaries don't pay inheritance tax or the gift to them effectively is free from inheritance tax. But obviously for most people, that's not the case. Or even if you are, you're a married couple and you're on the first death, you're leaving everything to the surviving spouse. So there's no inheritance tax. For inheritance tax nil rate bans, which have the effect that if you are a married couple and you've got children and on the death of both of you, you are hoping to leave um, you know, whatever's left to your children, then unless you are worth currently worth more than you know one million pounds, it's likely that there won't be any inheritance tax to pay on your death because of the operation of these four neorate bands. Things to bear in mind which can impact that are if you've made gifts during your lifetime to beneficiaries who aren't exempt from inheritance tax and the lifetime exemptions for inheritance tax which are available don't cover those gifts, then it might be a lower amount than a million pounds, which is the threshold at which inheritance tax becomes payable. There's a, a lot of very important points that you've made today about wills and we've touched on inheritance tax. We could go on for a long time, but I think we'll have to draw a close on this uh, fascinating subject. If people want more information, Lisa, 
How can they contact you? What's the best way? If you want to contact me personally, my email address is lmailey, that's M-A-L-E-Y, at berryandlamberts.co.uk. I would also recommend visiting our website, which has got our telephone number and lots of useful information. Thank you, Lisa. I was joined by Lisa Malley today, private client solicitor with Berry and Lamberts for this podcast. Thank you for listening to Berry and Lambert Solicitors podcast series, planning for your future. Find out more about us, our services, and what our clients say at berryandlamberts.co.uk. Berry and Lambert Solicitors is regulated by the Solicitors Regulation Authority and a proud member of Lawnet, the UK and Ireland's leading network of independent law firms promoting excellence and best practice. Please note that the information provided in this podcast series does not constitute legal advice and serves as a general guide only. The law may have changed since this podcast was recorded. Listeners should seek tailored legal advice from a solicitor who will take your individual and personal circumstances into consideration. Music